The Cinesnob Podcast is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. Cody, Sunday, February 26th, 2017. I don't know why I said the year. At uh, Alamo Drafthouse Westlakes uh, is the Princess Bride movie party. I feel like we've talked about the Princess Bride on here before. But, uh, uh, probably. I mean, I, I feel like it's it's one that's, uh, that's a total classic between all of us that we all love. So Yeah. Have you ever um, tried to show anybody The Princess Bride, like, recently? No. Or ever talked to anybody who hasn't seen it? And I feel like it's something that, that would not uh, translate well to modern times. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I, I think that maybe people may, may not be uh, as open to the sense of humor that that movie has. Because you have to be, you have to, like, on some level be willing to handle, like, some really silly stuff. Yeah. But... Have you ever read the novel? No, I have not. I love the novel. It's also written by William Goldman, who wrote the screenplay. It's it's the premise of it is uh, that he's like translating this old ancient tale into a new version, and I think it's it's pretty spot on with the movie. It has a little bit of a more a little bit of a downer ending compared to the film, uh, but uh, it is one of those. Uh, got it. You know what? It's thirty years old this year. Son of a bitch. Wow. Nineteen eighty seven when that movie came out uh, directed by Rob Reiner probably uh god I would say one of his best movies oh uh, yeah that and Spinal Tap because Spinal people, Tap. For, people forget that he did Spinal Tap and not Christopher Guest yeah uh I think When Harry Met Sally is probably his other uh most well-loved one I think every oh and uh, did he do When Harry Met Sally I think he did right back me up on this internet let's take a look let's take a let's look let's take a look at this I, I'm pretty sure yeah he directed yeah of course he directed When Harry Met Sally uh, but he also directed uh, I think that same uh, not that same year but uh, A Few Good Men was probably his last big movie that everyone liked I think he's done a lot of real turds since then yeah he started turning it up uh, probably towards the mid to early to mid 90s I, I think North is uh, North is a Rob Reiner movie starring Elijah Wood uh which I believe is the basis of the title for Roger Ebert's book. I hated, hated, hated this movie. Oh yeah. So just a quick look here. It looks like uh, the American president was his last really well-received movie, but he did a few good men um, yeah. in mis uh, in misery, like around that, oh, yeah. like the early to mid nineties. Yeah. But uh, Stand by Me is another huge Rob Reiner movie, yeah, by the way. Go. That's I forgot about Stand by Me. You're right. Anyway, uh, so this is uh, The Princess Bride. Again, uh, kind of a fantasy, uh, fairy tale-ish sort of movie if you haven't seen it. I got to imagine that most of our listeners have seen The Princess Bride. I, I, I certainly hope so. Uh, Andre the Giant, uh, uh, Mandy Patinkin, uh, Carrie Elways, um, Robin Wright, Chris Sarandon. Uh, I, I have to say that out of all of the cast of that movie, that the Mandy Patinkin one is the one that like blows people's minds when they realize that's who that is in that movie. He is a uh, – uh, I don't know – I haven't followed much of his career, but he's got some odd roles in there. I think his second oddest role after Inigo Montoya is probably playing the uh, – voicing um, Lisa Simpson's future – would-be future British husband in uh, – in an episode of the Simpsons that came out in like 1995. Wow. Uh, it, well, he had, he had kind of a second coming with Homeland. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I don't, have you watched Homeland? Not since season like two. I, I watched the season, the first season, it was great. The second season wasn't very good. And I stopped watching it after that. Yeah. 
Uh, I guess he's still on it, right? They killed off. Um, I have no idea. They killed off uh, Damian uh, Lewis's character. I know, who was the only reason to watch season one. Frankly. Uh, anyway, the Princess Bride movie. We're way off track. The Princess Bride movie party. That is Sunday, February twenty sixth, Alamo Drafthouse, Westlake, six thirty p.m. You'll get uh, inflatable swords for everyone to fight and dramatically hit hit switch hands with. If you remember that fight scene on the. You know, on the cliffs of insanity, uh, as well as Rescue Princess Buttercup game, as well as a Rescue Princess Buttercup game before the show. That is, again, Sunday, February 26th, Alamo Drafthouse, Westlake, 6.30 p.m. Get your tickets at drafthouse.com. Let's go ahead and start the show. In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the Internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many to produce a relatively listenable podcast. Devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Okay, no! They're puppets. No, and <laughs> Muppets are puppets. This is gonna... <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, but... I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What was what, that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster Hulk armor. That's, that's, that's how he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the Cinesnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 94 of the Cinesnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. And I am Cody Viafania in the flesh. You know, uh, our pal Kiko has always been too busy for this stuff uh, mm-hmm. in the past, but he kind of he kind of threw us a little shade a few weeks ago. Yeah, um, when he said he wasn't invited, but he's has a, he's of course always has a standing invitation, but he's never reaches out or anything. So right, he's never expressed any interest in sharing any opinions on this program. <laughs> it's been an awful long time since we've had Kiko Martinez on this show. Uh, to be fair, it's been an awful long time since we had a show, I think. I think it's been two weeks. Uh, we had a couple of lean weeks in the middle. Um, we did. Well, uh, I'm, we, I think you and I were talking about this. We missed, like, most of the award season boom. Like, so, like, all of the really big movies. Like, we even missed, like, Star Wars Rogue One. Like, I that's... know. God, we're terrible at this. But, uh. Kiko, I don't. I'd have to go back and really look at what the last time Kiko was on this. I. Show. It was. Yeah, I mean, it was some random episode where he was at a gas station filling up while he was talking to us i i i loved when he would drive for like two hours uh was it before or after his son was born the last time he oh was it was show? well before okay that's been a long time now because remember we said that we gave him a pass for uh for his wife uh giving birth and then right. uh, that he hadn't been on in a while i don't think well he's always welcome uh yeah it's yeah he, know, he knows what time we record we never. No, we... it's like no, but people behind the scenes may not know. We record it like the same time and the same day of the week every time we do this show. Like it never, it, there's no variation. So it's not like we switch it up on him every week. It's the same thing. Kiko, if you're listening to this, which you're which probably he's not, not. <laughs> you're you're invited. We might have some guests on. We we discussed that a few times. Um, I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. That we start to fill this thing out with some guest hosts yeah because two opinions aren't enough you need a third that 
that is probably, yeah, that's a sweet spot. It's probably closely aligned with ours most of the time, anyway. Or we should just like start having like that British girl that does our intros <laughs> to, to just like read our Facebook conversations throughout the week, and then we'll probably be good. We need someone, uh, one of those people that that likes every uh, movie that comes out and chides anyone that doesn't like it for being uh, accusing them of of not mm-hmm. liking fun. Yeah, can we yeah. get someone like that? Yeah, like, what I think just, I. I what do you just yeah. hate fun? I think I may know a few of those people personally. <laughs> I think I do too. Uh, anyway, so uh, this is uh, the first show in a couple weeks. Uh, what what did we miss? Did we miss anything big along the way? I don't think so. No, it's been pretty quiet along the way here. Um, I mean, because cause January was a lot of things kind of filling out from uh, the end of the year that were just kind of hitting the theaters in a slow roll release. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything major that we missed, and I really don't. I mean, like, if you want to count Split, did we? We didn't. Oh no, we, we did talk about, about that. that. Was our last the last show? We talked about Split, and we talked about the founder. I think we may have missed like Rings. Um, That's right. Rings and uh, God, who knows what else? Rings and um, well, we never talked about Hidden Figures, but that was. I think that was a little before. That was an, an award. Man, I saw I saw Hidden Figures like two months ago. So. <laughs> uh, well, we missed a dog's purpose, but that thing was mired in controversy. That, uh, that which, they, by the way, cleared up. Cleared up. That's oh man, that's so. Uh, that's the news cycle at work for you. Like no one, look, th- it was that movie was never destined to do great things anyway. But any hope it had just was to- had was totally shit on by that video. That two weeks after release some third party investigation deemed to be not that big a deal. Yeah. You know what? I, I was going to say that we missed a cure for wellness, but I forget it hasn't come out yet. Are you still embargoed on that? No, the embargo lifted on that one. Oh, now, I haven't seen it yet, but you called it hot garbage, right? Oh, Oh no. It's like flaming hot garbage. It's, <laughs> it is, it is really not great. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Um, I think, I believe there's a screening this week, but I'm not totally sure. I think uh, yeah. probably the the most uh, the thing I'm looking forward to most is we get an early Logan screening this week. Oh yeah, we get to see Logan on Thursday, and I am hyped for that. That's and that's a good two and a half weeks before release. Yeah, which is uh, which is a a big show of confidence. I I assume. Well, well, not just that, but the embargo lifts very shortly after that, so it's not like we have to keep our mouths shut for several weeks. Like they must have like immense confidence in this movie. Yeah, uh, but if you do remember, though, X Men Apocalypse uh, screened pretty early, and the embargo lifted super early too. Yes, but they also moved all of those screening times to like 10 a.m. on a weekday. You're, you're right, I forgot about that part. There was a there was a giant behind the scenes saga that we won't get into. That uh, oh yeah, that, you had to yeah, deal with that. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. some fallout. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, we're back. With uh, a couple of the biggest movies. Oh, this, oh yeah. What, yeah, why? What? Well, no, just on the subject of X-Men while we're on it, you and I were both kind of very briefly talking about Legion, which premiered this past week, um, which is kind of like an obscure X-Men character that made its way on the TV. And, man, that pilot is something else, right? You know, FX uh, really, really kills it uh, from time to time. I, I don't know that there's been an original – I never got into the American Horror Story uh, – uh, franchise that FX put out, but I think just about everything else FX has done has been super duper solid uh, yeah. when it comes to these dramas. And this is their first 
foray into, um, well, this is the first X-Men TV show, X, X-Men universe TV series. And man, that was a stylistic, ambitious pilot for sure. Uh, it was, and it was narratively just like, there's like, they throw like 10 balls in the air. And, uh, and man, it's just like the word I use and the word you use was ambitious. It is one ambitious pilot stylistically, like storytelling wise, um, just conceptually speaking, like this thing is, is like a super brainy, uh, really interesting concept. And I can't wait to, like, I really can't wait to see what they do with this. A, a friend of mine described it as, uh, uh, like has a Wes Anderson vibe to it, uh, and I can see that a little bit, uh, you know, obviously not nearly whimsical enough for Wes Anderson, but, uh, it, it's, it's got a, it's got a different approach to things like the throwing the text on the screen, uh, and the, the odd slow-mo and the weird playing with the timeline and the, and the reality. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really crazy ambitious and I, I really, really like Dan Stevens in it. And he's someone who I sense is going to be a huge star here in the bout two months whenever beauty and the beast hits yeah well you know the thing he was he's almost unrecognizable in this movie like if you've seen him in, in like especially stuff like the guest or anything else like he's like he's super i like it was it's hard to recognize him in this in this show uh, well he's not as handsome immediately handsome as he was in the guest yeah well i was that's what i was trying i was yeah, trying to but, dance around that but yeah the guest is a great movie too uh yeah i i I don't know what else he's been in other than The Guest and the upcoming Beauty and the Beast. Well, he was in Downton Abbey as well. Oh, yeah. He's a Brit. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, man. But, but I mean, like, it's got a great um, – well, so it was made by Noah Hawley who who does uh, Fargo. Um, yeah. Which that's has enough... had – Oh, man. that's I have not watched any of Fargo yet, and it's my biggest, like, oh, whiff man. right now. I actually just finished marathoning season two. You gotta, you gotta check it out. Season season one is so great, just for Billy Bob Thornton, who's just like incredible in that show. Where where is it streaming now? Is it is it somewhere weird or 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 is it? Uh... Um, I think I think FX stuff goes to Amazon. I know they have the Americans, and I've been trying. I've I'm way behind on the Americans. I'm about to finish season two of the Americans, and I have three and four. Uh, I'm checking to see if I so I I had it on my DVR, but um, uh, I think I have all of season two of Fargo on my DVR, but uh, I I couldn't remember. I I I know that here here we are talking about where is this? Where can I watch this? But but yeah, um, Legion is a great show. Um, If you're an X Men fan, I don't I don't know where it ties in to the to the franchise, and I don't know that that even will be a thing that happens. It it won't. I I've read that it takes place in a parallel universe. Okay, but, but it's got a weird sort of uh, out of time vibe to it. Like you can't te- like it's it's unclear as to what like there there's elements of like the '60s in there, and then there's elements of today in there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um. It's, it's yeah. It, like it 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 is. It's almost like it's purposely there to play with your head in a few weird ways, which is good because it's, it's very much the experience of the main character. So it's very disorienting at times. Um, you're not really clear what's real and what's not real. Um, and it's just high concept. And then of course, like it ties into the X-Men universe. I don't know how, how much or if it will play into the series. So I may not want to give away the origin of the character. Um, but he does have a very closely related family member. Um, 
that ties into the X-Men franchise that makes it really interesting to see how that plays in, if at all. I mean, they they mentioned mutants as it, if it's a thing already, so who knows? Um, and then it's got Aubrey Plaza in it, and I think uh, yeah, you're a big fan. And it's got some cast members from Fargo as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, Rachel Keller was from Fargo, who plays the lead. Um, in the Yeah, the lead female. And then Jean Smart, the older lady at the end, was also in Fargo season two. Yeah, Gene Smart's great. Gene Smart was in uh, the only f- couple seasons of Twenty Four that I watched. Oh, that oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, when went like the middle, like fifth and sixth season when it was actually pretty okay. Man, I love season two of Twenty Four. That's a great season. I don't know that I watched that. I I remember watching. Which is the one that has the the bomb, ex- the nuclear bomb exploding in L.A. I mean, that, that could be any of them. I guess. <laughs> that's the one that. Uh, it's like Gene Smart and um, is it Ray? Who plays the president? Is it Ray Wise? I don't think it's Ray Wise. The, well, the president for a long time. Oh, is, it was. I'm sorry, you're right. It's Dennis Haysbert for a long time. Yeah, but this this is the season where he gets killed, like right at the beginning of the. Oh, season. right at the beginning. I think that's season two, or maybe no, season three. No, it's not season two. I don't know. Uh, it's it's not. Um, yeah, because no, they 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 kill him off in like the opening credits of that season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there, but also uh, in that season, she's playing the first lady, whatever season I'm thinking of, and she like falls in like falls in love with a Secret Service agent played by uh, Glenn Morshauer, who's great. Uh, you know the he he was he played um, um, son of a bitch. He's been in the Transformers movies, but he also was uh, uh, Landry's dad in in the ill-fated season two of friday night lights (laughs) and he was also in something else i can't remember god damn it i gotta look him up again you know who glenn morshower is though right i would probably know him if i saw him he's he's uh bald and redheadish a little bit uh son of a bitch what was he in that you would know i mean other than um other than the transformers movies and friday night lights he was in 24 um She's been in Bones. <laughs> uh, God damn it! I feel like he had a big role before Friday Night Lights, but I can't remember what it is. What's his last name? Morshower. Glenn Morshower. M O R S H O W E R. And he's also all over the Transformers ride at, at Universal oh. Studios. Man, the thing that I really knew him from was Twenty Four. Okay, yeah, there you go then. That must have been it before Friday Night Lights, but uh, yeah, that's that's the one thing that I like know him for sure from. Okay, he's he's a great character actor uh, and has done a lot of a lot of different stuff. Anyway, where were we going with this? Oh yeah, Legion. Watch, <laughs> watch Legion. It's on FX. Uh, what is it? Wednesday nights. Uh, yeah, I think so. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, so you and I, once again, are both making our way to South by Southwest. As much as I said I didn't want to do it this year. Yeah, you were you were pretty stone set in, uh, set in stone not going to South by Southwest, and then they, they pulled you back in. They pulled me back in, uh, mostly with uh, something that both of us have been eager to see for a long time that uh, uh, I guess uh, – uh, relates to friend of the show Greg Sestero. Yeah, it's the premiere of the Disaster Artist. Yeah, the, uh, we kind of we had a we had a hint that this may happen, and it did. Yeah, it's the uh, 
the filmed version, the fictional, I don't know, would you call it fictional? Adaptation of yeah. uh, Greg's memoir of the making of The Room and his friendship with Tommy Wiseau, uh, directed, and star, directed by and starring James Franco as Tommy Wiseau, and star uh, also starring uh, Dave Franco as Greg Sestero, premiering uh, as a midnighter at Actually, South by Southwest. Actually, it is not premiering as a midnighter. Oh, it's not as a midnighter. Uh, God damn it, it, Cody. Yeah, it's it's it, it got moved into the marquee. There was a the the initial press release got messed up. It is a marquee screening. Okay, what does that mean? I don't never I never remember it, what that means. It just means like it's one of the big like uh like world premieres of a of a movie that's going to be there. So uh, this has been in the works for an awful long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, back when back when Greg was on the show, probably a couple years ago, uh, the script had been completed, but Greg hadn't quite seen it yet or read the script yet. And then I think maybe just a couple weeks after he was on the show, he had read the script. And so, yeah, so Greg, Greg, Greg and us, uh, Greg and me and Jared are, have like an email chain that goes around and, um, we talked to him pretty, I mean, relatively regular, more regularly than I would have ever thought. <laughs> he forwards us, he forwarded us the, uh, the, the initial first, uh, teaser for his best uh, friends, his best, yeah, film with, uh, Tommy Wiseau as yeah. a private Vimeo video, which we were like, oh, this is really something we, no one else has seen yet. Yeah. And then, yeah. um, he, he got in contact with us about two weeks ago with another trailer for that. Um, God, yeah, I, I believe it was uh, South by Southwest era 2015 that we first met Greg because I was sick oh, as yeah. shit. We are both were. <laughs> and we uh, we hosted the screening of The Room. I was <laughs> That night I was literally – I had a I had a pocket full of antibiotics that night that I was <laughs> popping in between our, our stuff. Yeah, no, I was deathly ill. But, um, but no, it's – this movie has like the best comedic – like when you look at it top to bottom, like it's like – I mean, it's James Franco and Dave Franco, but it's got like Josh Hutcherson, Allison Brie, um, uh, Hannibal Burris is in it. Brian uh, Cranston playing himself. Brian Cranston playing himself. Nathan Fielder's in it from Nathan for You. Um, oh man, Seth, Seth Rogen's Rogen, in it. Yeah. Uh, and then what's her name? Um, uh, oh man, the girl that's from. Uh, oh man. The blonde, I can't. I'm blanking on her name right now. It looks, it looks like Zoe Deutsch is in it. Oh, is she? Yeah, according to IMDb, playing Bobby. I don't know who that is. Sharon Stone is in it. Oh, uh, playing the agent, uh, Greg's agent, Christopher Mintz Plass. Um, what is the name of the the main female who's playing like Juliet in the movie? I don't know. Let me look that up. That's Dan- Danielle is her name. The ca- the ca- the real person's name, Juliet Danielle Ari Grainer. Ari Grainer. That's who I couldn't think of. Yeah. Isn't that uh, isn't that Seth Rogen's wife? No, but but she was in a oh, movie. Oh, she was in the movie was... with Seth Rogen's wife. Uh, she yeah. Was, uh, what is it? Something call. Uh... Yeah, the phone sex movie. For a good time, call. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, but no, she was in the TV version of Bad Teacher. Oh Jesus, <laughs> that's not a credit. I think that's worth mentioning. But Eliza Coop is in it. Uh, who you remember from the ill-fated last season of Scrubs and from. Um, um happy endings yeah it's got a great cast in it and it's uh i can't i i I cannot wait for this movie i like and you and i have both read the book that it's based on and the book is just incredible front to back like 
Um, and, you know, we talked to Greg, and it was really important to Greg that they get it right because it's his life story, basically. I mean, part of it is very heavily rooted in Greg's start as an actor. And, and Greg had emailed us when he had read the script, and I know that he's, he was super pleased with the script, and I know that he's pleased with the movie too. So, I, I remember uh, yeah, right right before he read the script, he uh, you, you had pitched him some idea. Yeah. And he, he sent it to, to Franco. Mm-hmm. And and he showed me Franco emailed him back and said like sounds good but they didn't use it so fuck no, you, no of course not fuck you Cody but uh, it, was, it was it was nice to know that an idea I had for the movie made its way to James Franco <laughs> anyway uh, so that's going to be premiering at South by Southwest we will be there uh, hopefully talking to Greg um, God I didn't want to go this year you know what what. What's taking the load off my plate is I haven't scheduled a, a single interview, and I don't think I'm going to. Yeah, the interviews I, always killed me. The interviews are tough. Um, there, there's ways to make South by Southwest less of a headache, um, and of course they made they complicated it this year because you and I got some credentials we weren't expecting, and <laughs> and now 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 I feel obligated. So it's well, look, I mean, last year I I I did an interview with. Uh, Burt Reynolds, legendary Burt Reynolds. And I mean, it was a fine enough interview, but it wasn't, it wasn't really, nothing really intriguing came out of it. So it, I didn't publish, <laughs> publish it at all, which I should have, <laughs> but, but it, you know, sometimes there's just, there's interviews that happen that are like, you know what? I, nothing, there's nothing really here. You know, it's just that I happened to talk to Burt Reynolds, you know, um, mostly I was ta- talking to him about my dad, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, which is what you talk to Burt Reynolds about mostly. Well, I, would I mean, think. my dad is a huge Burt Reynolds fan. You know, my dad. I tell my dad that day, I'm like, "Hey, I'm going to talk to Burt Reynolds today." He's like, "Tell him I just watched him in an episode of Gunsmoke." <laughs> I'm like, "All right, cool. I'll tell him." Uh, and then uh, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if the movie ever was released, but I, I interviewed uh, Bella Thorne, uh, former Disney actress who could not wait to shed that label. Um. If you're aware who Bella Thorne is, I know you know who Bella Thorne is, but uh, there was a movie about people. It was like a coming of age teenage drama thing, and I interviewed her and the rest of the cast. And uh, I, the thing about South by Southwest is that it is an exhausting experience because, for those of you who have not been to Austin during South by Southwest, it is asses to elbows everywhere you're going. Everything's an ordeal. Nuts to butts there, is the word. Nuts, yeah, nuts. It is nuts to butts. There, there are ways to make it a little bit more palatable for us in the press, but um, man, it's a lot of standing in lines. It's a lot of uh, like trying to sidestep hipsters. Uh, yeah. It's just, and like parking's a nightmare. It's just kind of it's just an ordeal, man. I can't do more than three days in a row before I need a break. Yeah. Um... Even even living here, it's not easier. Uh, I mean, I don't live anywhere close to downtown, so I still have to to make my way in somehow. Last year, I took the train the first day, and that's a good idea, uh, except when it's time to leave, then everybody's on the train. The train here is uh, relatively unregulated, uh, meaning they don't check tickets very often. So you can just sort of get on the train and leave. And a lot of people tend to do that in, at the end of South by because like the train station downtown is is literally right outside the convention center you know, where South by Southwest is centered. But um, 
uh, I know there's some other cool stuff premiering here that uh, the really ambitious uh, uh, Terrence Malick movie is premiering here. Uh, yeah, that's right. The, it's it's based in music, right? Yeah, and it was shot over the course of several years. At ACL, right? Uh, I don't know if at ACL, but for sure at South By. Um, I could have sworn that they filmed at ACL because I remember people spotted Gosling. It might have been at ACL, too. I don't really remember, honestly. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, I know it was a couple years ago that they, that they shot that. And then... Um, Oh God! There's something else. Oh, there's a there's one that really intrigues me. Muppet Muppet guys talking. Yeah, no. There's a lot of really interesting stuff. Like, and and the thing I love about South by is that we get some Sundance spillovers. So like the Big Sick, which was the movie that um, that Kumail Nanjiani was in, based on his relationship, and it was directed by Michael Showalter. Um, will be there, um, along with uh, a world premiere, I believe, of Baby Driver, the new Edgar Wright movie. Oh yes, that's right. I, you know what? When you said that immediately, I thought of Boss Baby. <laughs> <laughs> that is a world premiere of Boss Baby. Like, son of, like why? Yeah, uh, I, I have no clue what Baby Driver is about. I haven't followed any of that at all. But uh, that's his follow up to uh, what would have been Ant Man. Yeah, but I guess is now uh, the world's end. Yeah, uh, it's been a while for Edgar Wright. Yeah. Anyway, so South by kicks off. I think the second week of March. Yeah, March 10th. March 10th, which um, is coming up as faster than I realized, frankly. We should have some pretty solid coverage, I hope, um, this time around. Um, I know that I, I plan on being a little bit more proactive this time around. What Last year you pushed out because your tire – you got a flat tire or something. And it like Oh, ruined, yeah. Ruined no, I had a tire pop on the gas station on the way to Austin. I was like, fuck this. I'm not going. <laughs> you pussy. All right, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have the Lego Batman movie. What? It's the Batcave! Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, 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 Batman, whoa! You're darn right, whoa. Wait, does Batman live in Bruce Wayne's basement? No, Bruce Wayne lives in Batman's attic. We can have sleepovers every night. No, we can't. Whoa, look, it's the Bat-Zub. Wait, don't touch that. And over there, it's the Bat-Space Shuttle. Please, keep your hands off that. Look, it's the Bat-Zeppelin. Don't touch that either. It's the Bat-Train. No. It's the Bat-Kayak. It's the Bat-Doom Buggy. It's the bat Shark repellent? Uh, actually, you can you can't touch that. It's completely useless. Whoa! Thanks, Batman. In this spinoff of the Lego Movie, Bruce Wayne must not only deal with the criminals of Gotham City, but also the responsibility of raising a boy he adopted. Now, before we get into this, I want to say that both you and I, uh, I think we were talking about this earlier this week or, or last week, find the Lego Movie, uh, 2014's The Lego Movie, to be absolutely brilliant. Oh. Absolutely brilliant, and not just brilliant, but I think both you and I agree. The best animated film of the past five years, like, unequivocally. I don't think it's even close. Right, uh, easily. Um, that said, we both were disappointed in this movie, so why don't you start? Uh, okay, sure, yeah. So um, the way that I would it, – it is way more tied into the Batman universe than I thought it might be. 
Um, it basically treats every Batman movie. Would you say that it would treat it as canon or or no? Because it's know. very self-referential to it. Yeah, I don't know if it's canon, but it 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 it, it definitely pretends that they happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, it's canon. But sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's implied that this Batman is a is a continuation of every Batman that's ever happened. Right. Um, but it's done so in a comedic way. But I would say that it, it's probably canon. Um, and what you find <laughs> is, well, that, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I go that far, but well, uh, yeah, but it treats but, it though as this Batman was the same Batman in all the movies. It's not. Right. It doesn't like. It's not a sequel to The Dark Knight or anything. But anyway, go on. Right. The, the the thing about it, I would say, is um, I'm trying to find a way, a good way to word it. Um, it is very tied into Batman and the Batman franchise, and because of its self-referential um, ideas, it it brings everything into play in terms of past experiences and current experiences. I mean, there's. There's there's actually a pretty funny line in there where they throw some shade at Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, like when they're all when they're all leaving the prison and, and some of the characters from Suicide Squad suggest to help Batman. He's like, I can't have you a, a villains helping me. That's a stupid idea or something like that. It's it's a it's a funny thing. Um, the the thing is that um, I think that the movie, uh, th- this particular film has some good ideas and just doesn't really know what to do with them. Um, I feel like it's it's something that conceptually works and then kind of runs out of steam when it's called upon to go further beyond the concept. Um, it's super fast. I don't – a lot of people were saying that it's quicker-witted and quicker-moving than the Lego movie, which I don't agree with. Um, I think the Lego movie is at a breakneck pace where it's a million jokes a second and – it's just hitting you left and right with jokes, and they're all hitting. That's the thing about the Lego movie. Every joke in the Lego movie hits. Well, um, well here's the thing about this movie. It's it's a, it's essentially a, a, a spinoff of the Lego movie. This is the same Lego Batman. But a- outside of a few uh, Master Builder uh, references, it's really just a parody of Batman. Yeah, it's that, very that, self-contained. But it happens to be made of Lego. So, yes. and I think it loses I, I think it doesn't have the playfulness that the Lego movie has. That the Lego movie was basically anything can fucking happen. Uh because this is imagination. You know, even though Lego is 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 even more and more dependent these days on the licensed properties like Batman and right, Star Wars. Right, but there's no branding stuff. specifically with just Legos. Like, like the the main character in the Lego movie was not like a years old Lego character. Exactly. It was just something that they created for the purpose of the movie. So I think this loses that immediately by setting it firmly within the Batman. Well, outside of a few Warner Brothers related cameos, Which, firmly within the Batman universe. And let's talk about that because one of the big ideas that they have – and of course there's there's jokes along the way and Will Arnett's good. I actually think that the best part of this movie is Michael Sarah as Robin. Yeah, we played the clip of, of his kind of intro to the Batcave and he, he's pointing out all the goofy Batman vehicles, um, it, which yeah, I think was I, really fun. It's pretty great voice work for Michael Sarah too. Um, he's really – it's a really likable character and, and it provides some grounding for, for the Batman. But 
what what they decide to do with it is is I, and I do I actually like the idea that the Joker is like an insecure villain who just wants to be hated by Batman. Like it's it's a funny concept, right? Um, but and, and then they bring in this huge idea where suddenly every villain from every Warner Brothers property is available to them in Lego form. So you see things like Voldemort as a villain. You see things like the Eye of Sauron for from Lord of the Rings as a villain. And even going way back to things like King Kong and, and other things. And other than just having them appear, they don't like they don't do anything with it. And I think it, I think that as as good as some of the parts of are this movie, it's just an entire repetition of of missed opportunities, I think is is what this film's kind of all about. Here's how here's how I felt. The first five minutes, I was loving it. Uh you know, your intro to to the insecure Joker. And then the the rogues gallery of all of, of Batman's goofy, weird villains um, played by a stacked voice cast. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you've got uh, you've got uh, Doug Benson playing Bane. You've got Conan O'Brien playing the Riddler. Uh, you've got uh, like Kate Micucci playing Clayface. Just this bizarre uh, uh, cast of comedians, comedic people playing these Batman villains. In the first five minutes, I'm like, this is great. And then nothing really else, nothing more happens with those villains. They kind of get pushed to the side. But but not just pushed to the side, but pushed back. Think about how many times in this movie you think that it's over and then you you're like, oh, wait, the Joker's still up there. Right. There's there's one too many plot turns in 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 that at least. And I think it's a mistake, uh, you know, bringing in the. Bringing in the Warner Brothers villains, look, after Voldemort and Sauron, and then there's the Wicked Witch of the West, like, the even, Voldemort's a, a solid choice. For whatever reason, not played by Ray Fiennes, who's also a cast member in this film. Played instead by Eddie Izzard, which I'm fine with, but it's a weird choice. Um, and then you have uh, Sor- the Eye of Sauron, solid then you drop to the Wicked Witch of the West, and then you go to King Kong, who's not really a villain. If you if you know like any kind of the mythos of King Kong, he's like a misunderstood animal. And then there's like a generic sea monster. So I think well, that- and there's a, there's a, there's some Doctor Who references too in there that actually has a pretty funny joke attached to it. Yeah, I, I which don't, was, yeah, which was the ask your nerd friends joke. Yeah, well, I think it's is it are they not licensed to use Doctor Who? In the film, because they I, never call those Daleks. Those are Daleks. Yeah, they call them I space don't, I robots. Don't think so, anyway, you had this great cast of villains, of weird Batman villains, and you do nothing with them. And instead, the real villains are these Warner Brothers villains. And I think that's one plot turn too many. I, look, it, I wasn't a big fan of the character of Batman on his own. It's I like, think he was the weakest part of the Lego Movie. Yes, and and I think he's fine in small doses. Uh, just like and I've used this comparison a lot, and anybody that I've talked to about it knows this. But it's like Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean. You, he's a great a great presence when he's bouncing off of other people. When you make him the main character, like in the most recent Pirates of the Caribbean, it's not a good idea. And I don't think this is as bad as that. But I don't think he's a likable enough character to to carry this movie. Like I don't in 
and, and and this sounds overwhelmingly negative, but really, it's not. It's not that bad. I mean, no, I I'm, but, I don't want to think that I don't want anybody to think that I hated this movie, but I I was disappointed in it. it well, be, because you have to consider the fact that the Lego Movie was so good that anything that didn't quite live up to expectations here or fell short is going to be amplified because, I mean, it really has to live in the shadow of that. And and, it, and it's very much in the shadow of that. There's no ties into the Lego movie at all other than just having Batman be in it. Um, and I feel like and I don't know the... if it's I don't know if it's. Go ahead. Well, I don't know if it's just the lack of Lord and Miller here or what it is, but there was something missing. Uh, you know, and there's a few things. Like I feel like Rosario Dawson's uh, Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl character. I feel like it's just I feel like it's just another version of Elizabeth Banks' Wild Style character. Like I don't feel like there's really any difference there. Um, like I like you said, I enjoyed uh, Michael Sarah's Robin quite a bit, and uh, I like the references to the old Batman stuff, but I just don't think it all comes together in a way that was really. It's really sloppy plot wise, and and I don't think that's that's not something the Lego Movie suffered from, and I, I feel like it it lacks a lot of the charm by sticking it firmly in the Batman universe, where you can't you know there's no real creativity to the to the to what's happening, like there was with the Lego Movie, you know where they bounce to different worlds, where there's in the Western world or whatever uh, the Unikitties place was. Um. Yeah, I, I I don't hate it, but it's just missing something for me, and I don't really know how to fix it. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, by the way, I and, and I know that Kiko really did not like this movie. Um, he said that he laughed once at a certain part that I actually found extremely funny. Um, which was uh, there's there's a reference to Haritos in this movie. What and it's. It's really funny. I don't – remind me. I don't get – I don't remember what it is. He, he He's he's mentioning that he can get um, Robin some chimichangas and, and haritos. Oh, OK, OK, OK. Yes. Which got a big laugh obviously in San Antonio yeah. <laughs> in our theater. Got a nice laugh. I, I just don't – I like I said, I just don't think that the character is likable enough. And I don't – the tone wasn't set with, uh, with the Lego movie for the I – know, I know a lot of people that loved – the Batman character in the Lego movie. And I was like you, I thought he was the weakest part of it. I mean, it it was fine because he was a big asshole and, you know, it was funny for it needed the asshole character, but then to base a whole movie around the asshole character, like, well, I don't know if I like this so much, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, what's your grade for this? I mean, I give it a B minus. I think it's fine. I think it's good enough to, to recommend, um, I think that if you're expecting it to be as good as the Lego movie, it's going to fall short and it's going to leave some stuff to be desired. But like, is it fun? Yeah. Is it funny? Yeah. It's just not as fun or funny or anything else, frankly, as the Lego movie. I think it's a solid kids movie. Yeah. It's not a transcendent, like clever man. Cause the Lego movie threw in shit. There was, those are some amazing, and that's probably Lord and Miller, some amazing references to obscure shit. Like my uh, my favorite scene is that the uh, kind of council of elders or whatever, yeah. where uh, they they reference Michelangelo, like the artist, and then Michelangelo, the Ninja <laughs> yeah. Turtle, and then uh, two thousand two, two thousand three NBA All Stars. 
Yeah. And and that's just a fucking like that's a deep Lego cut right there. Cause I have those figures. Like, cause the, that's when they release a Tim Duncan and, and Tony Parker Lego figure. Uh, but that's a deep fucking cut that doesn't, that, you know, you can't go buy those guys. You know, everything in the Batman Lego movie, you can go buy. Everything is available right now at stores. But the Lego right. movie was something that, that used stuff and, and, uh, like Charlie Day's Spaceman. That's some shit from the eighties. Uh, that, that even referenced, you know, a, a design flaw in it with his space, the bottom of his, his helmet cracked. Mm-hmm. Like that's some, that's some deep shit. And this doesn't have that. And no, it's, I mean, it, I was surprised of how straight up of a Batman movie that it is yeah. because it is, it is a Batman movie of Legos. I mean, that's, that's really the best way to put it. It's not a Lego movie version. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not a Lego movie that has Batman in it. It is very much a Batman movie in Lego form. And, and a lot of it, it doesn't really make sense why it's Lego. No, you know. Anyway, uh, B minus for me too. I, I don't, I don't dislike it as much as I've kind of shit on it negatively here, pointing out the negative things. I think it's fine, and I think there's some really great moments in it. It's just it can't possibly live up to the Lego Movie, which is something that both you and I hold in very high esteem, and our colleague Kiko Martinez does not, because yes. he is wrong. He likes. I think he preferred Big Hero Six, right? Yes, he vastly prefers uh, Big Hero 6 to the Lego movie, which is just a wrong opinion. God damn him. Ugh. Anyway, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our next movie, John Wick Chapter 2. He's offered $7 million for your life. $7 million is a lot of money, Mr. Wick. So I guess you have a choice. You want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Somebody please get this man a gun. Let's go. Your descent into hell begins here, Mr. Wick. Earl will guide you. Do be careful on your way down. Oh, and remember, you owe me. You don't want me owing you. After returning to the criminal underworld to repay a debt, John Wick discovers that a large bounty has been put on his life. So, you weren't as big a fan of the first film as I was. I was not. So... What did you think of this second film, John Wick Chapter 2? Well, I, I, here's, here's the thing about this, this movie. Um, there's a few things that help going into it. Um, first and foremost is it's, it is, does not deviate far from the first John Wick at all in basically any way. Hmm. Um, the narrative is slightly different. The results are not. Um, <laughs> I think... I think maybe what it was was that John Wick, the first one, I thought was maybe took itself a little too seriously. Um, I think that John Wick Chapter 2 is a little bit more self-aware um, of what kind of movie it is and what it's trying to accomplish. Um, I, I honestly did was not really feeling it early on, like especially with the – there's some very gratuitous like peeling out scenes in the very beginning with cars – I know um, how I know how men in fast cars threaten you. 
Yes, it's. I just don't like it. It scares me. Um, <laughs> but no, it's. Um, and then I think by the end it kind of wore me down a little bit, and, and it was a little bit more enjoyable. Um, I, I will say that, um, you know, like I said, it, it's more self-aware. I don't think that Keanu Reeves is like acting well in this movie. <laughs> it's it's very much like there's seriously probably ten scenes where his dialogue is. Yeah, and that's the extent of it. Um, I think that I, I don't. I don't really even think that it builds off of anything. I think that they built the world up in the first John Wick, and they just play around in that world here as opposed to building on it. Um, I really don't think that it's like there's not much different than the first one. It just feels like a. A di- another chapter of it versus a retread. It's not really a retread, I wouldn't say. I, I-, I want to give it some credit, but um, well, look, I mean, what you have to know is that it's it is two hours of gratuitous headshots, and that's yeah, that's it. Well, it 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 literally picks up like minutes after the first one ends. Yes. Um, you know, so it's it's taking place essentially in the same like week. Uh, and I think, um, you know, this one does play around a little bit more in the world. And like you said, I think it's a little more self-aware. Uh, I, I was a little thrown honestly by the, the wrap up of the first film's plot line at the beginning. Um, you know, I kind of felt like it, it, it was just an extended conclusion to the first one before we really got the second story started. Right. Um, but the world building, I think, pays off, uh, you know, and it allows, you know, it, it allows, excuse me, opportunity for more uh, bigger name actors, bigger name stars to come in as opposed to just the fucking 50 bearded MMA fighters. He headshots uh, during the the you know, whatever, whatever mission he's on. Like as soon as they bring in common, you know, like, well, this guy is not getting headshot right away. Uh, and then, uh, Lawrence Fishburne pops up. Lawrence Fishburne's in the clip that we played. So that, that expands the world even further. And I, I like that. It's this kind of weird underworld, uh, that is everywhere. Apparently, uh, like whenever, right. whenever, uh, John wick has the contract put out on him, um, I enjoyed that scene, that series of scenes a lot. I guess it, I guess you'd call it a montage, but uh, where it just kind of played with time, uh, you know, the timeline of him just walking through a, a train station, and basically everybody there is a fucking hitman trying to kill him, and uh, and it's got that weird, that weird uh, uh, sense of the world that the first one had still where no one reacts to this like massive ultra violent gun battle happening. Like the police never show up or, or there's never like a crackdown of the military coming in to, to wonder why this, this guy's house was fucking firebombed. Uh, and they all deal in gold coins. And look, man, look, it doesn't it, like, if you're looking for this to be nuanced or even less makes sense, <laughs> you're at the wrong fucking movie. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, Hey, we're going to kill this fucking guy. And this guy's going, no, I'm going to fucking kill all of you. That's it. Yes. That's the movie. And that's the plot. Then that's all that happened. And God damn it. I fucking enjoyed it. By the end of the thing, I was fucking smiling. I mean, it's, I think- it's gruesome violence. Um, 
you know, you know what? I was I was sort of like on the fence about certain things. I was like, yeah, man, this is just over the top. And then there's a scene that happens with a pencil, and I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> That's one of the hits in the train station. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was like, God damn it, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, uh, I think you know um, that's the the climax in like that crazy mirrored exhibit. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some really cool stuff happening in there, uh, choreography wise and, and camera work wise. I mean, there's a scene like where he walks towards you. It kind of reminded me of that the famous uh, like mind bending shot in Contact, if you remember where Jodie Foster's character is a girl is running towards the mirror and then she like opens the whole frame. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, this, anyway, this is sort of the same thing. Like he's, he's walking towards a mirror and then it splits and he's closer and further away. And it's, it's just some really great camera work. I mean, I'm sure it's all special effects assisted, but it's just a really sort of mind bending, um, you know, sense of, of, of just crazy shit going on. Um, I mean, God damn it. By the end of it, I was fucking, I loved it again. You know, I, I don't think it would, it didn't quite have the same impact as the first one because the first one was just kind of out of nowhere, unexpected, unexpectedly, like ultra violently crazy and awesome. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it, it does lose a little bit of its effect this time around. But it, again, it's another super open ended conclusion. Yeah. And judging judging by the uh, by the numbers this week, it's probably going to get a third one. Yeah. No, I'm I'm all I'm I'm totally down for it. I mean, uh, well, I, look, I, here's the thing. You have to, and I and I and I stress this. You have to go into it knowing that there is not an ounce of subtlety happening <laughs> anywhere. Right. And I think that the problem is, I think that there are movies that do violence with a little bit more subtlety and nuance. Like I love, I well, I don't love the first one, but I love the second, the raid, like the raid uh, redemption, the second one. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that those are just like badass action movies that actually have some story to them. Um, this is just like it, it is like a, a hundred miles an hour. It's almost like if 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 like a Fast and Furious movie was more violent and less goofy, <laughs> I think is is what you get with John Wick. Ah, uh, yeah, balls to the wall. Yeah, I can. I guess. Fast and the, the Fast and the Furious are just Transformers movies without the the meanness. So I don't know if that really is a that's that's how I see the Fast and the Furious movies. That's why like they're just as fucking stupid and just as obsessed with like shiny things and asses. But because they're not like like making fun of like racial stereotypes, then I think that's why people love the Fast and Furious. And this one. um like I said, it, it drops in some bigger bigger names. Like Common plays a rival hitman, uh, and they have that 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 uh, really close quarters fight scene on the subway, and and his character is left open ended. So presumably he's coming back if there's a third one, which uh, there will be. I mean, well, look. Look, you have you have a movie like John Wick that is a rated R movie that's not a comic book or not an established thing making 30 million dollars in a weekend where it's opening against two movies that made a combine of like almost 100 million, there's going to be a third one. Oh yeah, no, I I totally I'm, Especially for a studio like Lionsgate. <laughs> yeah. No, I I'm I'm looking forward to it personally. Uh Look, I'm I, I'm happy for Keanu Reeves. I mean, I think that <laughs> that guy's been shit on for the better part of two decades. <laughs> Well, 
Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's made a good movie since The Matrix, the first film, personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, other than John Wick. Um, he's pretty old by now. He's got to be in his 50s as an action star. That's a big deal. I think probably Tom Cruise is the only other person that can get away with that these days. I mean, it was Liam Neeson for a while. Well, but that was that was his whole thing. Like he was an old man action star. I mean, Keanu Reeves isn't playing an old man. Right. Keanu Reeves is 52. Okay. Anyway, uh, what's your grade for John Wick Chapter 2? Uh, it's a B minus. It's uh, good enough to to uh, recommend. I think that if it's if if any movie's going to have a higher grade than that, it's got to have some substance to it. And this thing is all style, no very little substance. But I can't I can't lie and say that I wasn't having fun watching gratuitous violence on a comical level. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm at a B, a solid B for me. Uh, just that it because it loses a little bit of its luster being the second time around. I don't think. I don't think they necessarily ramped it up. Uh, I don't know that there's anything in this film that's even more outrageous than the first film. Maybe the pencil thing. But I, pencil I think... The thing is pretty great. pencil thing is pretty great. But I, I'd like to see some more just sort of outrageous bullshit. Anyway, uh, B, B for me, B minus for you. All right, that's it for reviews. Let's move on to our next segment that we haven't done in Jesus Christ. How long has it been since we've done this? Probably since we were all in the same room doing it. Yeah. So that's been like two years almost. All right. It's no ticket required. Find a comfy spot on the couch and welcome to no ticket required. So this is our segment about things that aren't in the movie theater. Uh, normally we do Netflix stuff, uh, maybe uh, Amazon stuff, Hulu, whatever you have. Yeah. This I week. Also have, I, and, and this week I didn't tell you I also have an HBO thing to very quickly talk son about. Son of a bitch. I didn't get a clip ready for that. I know. All right. So uh, what do you want to talk about first? Well, first I'll talk about the new thing that's happening, um, which is uh, on HBO tomorrow night is uh, Eagles of Death Metal, Nosa Mis. Um, it's a documentary that was made by Colin Hanks um, about the the Bataclan uh, shooting that happened with the band Eagles of Death Metal. And, um, and, and it kind of talks uh, about that, and, and then they come back to France to do their um, – to do like a, to finish their show basically, so it's a, it's a story that had was in the news for several weeks, um, and really kind of pushed Eagles of Death Metal into the forefront of music news cycles, all sorts of stuff. Let's say let's let's be honest, actual literal notoriety. No one knew um, Eagles of Death Metal. I I had heard of Eagles of Death Metal before, but literally that's not like this. This is not like some name band, known band that was that was involved. It's not, but they're they're also they've got some level. I mean, they were selling out shows across Europe during this tour. Um, That's Europe, but, man. But yeah, so it's a it's a it's a it's a spinoff basically of Queens of the Stone Age. Josh Homme is is the drummer, and he was a death metal with his childhood best friend Jesse Hughes. Let's play the trailer. What do you say? Yeah, go for it. Everyone's face was looking at me. I saw fear take a hold of everyone in that theater. I think about the Bataclan. What we all need is to finish that gig. Very few people have stared down cold-blooded evil. How do my sweetest 
friends unsee this. They can't. I will see you in there. I just want to do what I'm supposed to do to make sure that everyone comes through this okay. And I want it to fix me too. I see a room full of my friends. Knows I'm me. I love you all the time. So this is again... Well, let me stop the clip. <laughs> so this is again from uh, director Colin Hanks. Uh, his last film was the Tower Records documentary, correct? Yeah, a pretty good doc, actually. I, I like that movie um, a bit. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't. I thought you were going to jump in. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I haven't seen it. Sorry. I, yeah, I remember. So, uh, I remember him talking about it, uh, wanting to fund that years ago on the Nerdist podcast. But yeah, and I interviewed him for that at South by Southwest uh, two years ago. How time flies. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, this movie, um, you know, the, the the hooks are very much uh, into the relationship and friendship of Josh from Queens of the Stone Age and Jesse. Um, and uh, if you're a Queens of the Stone Age fan or an Eagles of Death Metal fan, that's actually a really interesting element of it because you get to see about their friendship. And it's a very genuine friendship. And Jesse, the, the, the lead singer uh, of – Eagles of Death Metal is very much a hard on your sleeve kind of guy, and he's a very sympathetic figure um, in this movie. Um, I, I think that it's good. I think that it it goes into some details that are interesting about that night. It gives some firsthand accounts of what happened, but I, I feel like it's very surface level. It almost feels like a 2020 version of what what the story is. You know, there's some there's some segments about like one of the one of the people the concert goers who was there who kind of saved some of the band members who basically shoved them into a cab and gave them money and sent them off to go and get safe. Um, and like, they don't show a, a, them reuniting at all. Also, Jesse is a character and by character, I mean, he's a, he's very right wing and, <laughs> um, even in, in recent months has gone on stage during Eagles of Meth, uh, death metal shows saying that he believes that the Bataclan security let the terrorists into the building. <laughs> oh, and boy. so, like, they don't really explore that part of Jesse. They hint towards it a little bit, but it just feels like an incomplete look at who this guy is because that's very much a part of who he is. You can read interviews about him where he talks about his ideas on gun control. He was a huge Bush supporter, um, which, you know, that's that's who he is. So show that a little bit. Um so I think it's a little service level. I think it's a little uh, generous to not showing some of those more controversial sides of him. But all in all, it's an interesting look about you know the attitude they had, which was Eagles of Death Metal. If if you're a fan of them, you know that they are like a like a very much of a like fun loving dancing uh, high energy type of band. The last thing you would expect for a terrorist attack to happen because they're a very not take themselves seriously type of band. So, um, does, does this movie imply that, that that was, that they were a target or just that the theater no. was a target? Okay. Just, just a, a large, I mean, man, like almost 90 people died that night in that club. Right. No, I mean, um, it's, I, it's awful. I mean, it's an yeah, awful, I think about, awful thing. I think the, the death toll was 89. Um, and, uh, and, and no, it does not imply that they were a target. It was just a large group of people in Paris. Now, now, Here's something that that bugs me a little bit about the trailer, and I haven't seen the film yet. 
treating this as though the most important thing was to go finish the show. I don't know that that's something that is really necessary. I don't know. It doesn't, it feels a little self-indulgent. It's, it is the idea that this type of thing that, that terrorism should not get in the way of people having fun in a way. And that's, that's, that's kind of a basic way of wording it, but it's the idea of people are there to have fun, to having a good time in that, a show like that, especially where people are dancing and singing and stuff, should be a safe haven. People should not worry for their lives when they go to those places. So it's almost like reclaiming that for them and saying rock and roll will not be, you know, will we'll prevail over anything else. And this is, is the idea. All right. This premieres uh, Monday, tomorrow, February uh, 13th on HBO. Is that correct? On HBO, yeah. And HBO's on a. They're on a roll with their documentaries. We didn't talk about it, but Beware of uh, Beware the Slender Man aired. I have that um, recorded and I haven't watched it yet. Man, it's great. I love that. And then uh, in a couple weeks, Tickled is going to be on HBO, which is the most bizarre thing that you will see this year. <laughs> oh, that's the tickling um, fetish. The tickling thing. fetish documentary. It's That movie is weird as hell. Um, <laughs> So I, I hope you all check that out. But yeah, so we want we want to highlight those types of things, the HBO, the Netflix, but also something new is, um, you know, occasionally we miss movies and we don't get to review them in the theaters, um, or you know we you know we have these home releases. I'm I'm a big buyer of home releases, DVDs, Blu-rays, things like that. So I personally want to know what the kind of special features are, you know, because it's it's so easy to just buy a digital copy. Um, yeah. you know, you, you may not want to have the disc with all the features. So we want to, we want to start featuring some reviews of products like DVDs and Blu-rays, but also, uh, talking about some movies that we may have missed that are coming out this week on, uh, home video. And that leads us to, uh, first and foremost, it's going to lead us to, um, the edge of 17, which was a movie that, uh, we did not get screened here. So we, we, um, we had to see later on, and this is coming out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray on Valentine's Day, February 14th. Let's play a clip. No, no. Hey, you're so messed up for bringing up that story. You're so messed up. Man, do you even realize how sick in the head you are for bringing that oh, up? Oh, I'm sorry you feel guilty for never caring about anyone but yourself. Oh, yeah, no, that's exactly Face it. Face it, you're obsessed with yourself. Oh, my your God. Your report card on the refrigerator like you're five years old. Hey, everybody, hey, everybody, look, I pooped in the big potty. Uh, God, do you even know what it feels like to love another human being? Oh, man, you are so dramatic, okay? Hey, life isn't fair sometimes, Nadine, okay? Get over it. I swear to God, I swear to God. Now, this is a, this is a film that starred uh, Haley Steinfeld. Did it premiere? Uh, where did it premiere? I know there was a, a festival premiere for this film. Hey, Haley Steinfeld, Woody Harrelson, uh, Blake Jenner, Kira Sedgwick. Uh, Haley Lou Richardson, who was just in Split. Um, I, I I know I enjoyed this movie. I know you uh, weren't quite as enthusiastic about it as I was. No, we have very different opinions on this movie. Um, I personally thought that it was trying way too hard. I think that there there's a lot of frank sexual dialogue coming from female characters, and I think that some movies rely on frank sexual dialogue between teenagers or young people to kind of push the envelope a little bit. And I think this just kind of felt um, a little bit rote. I, I think that the Woody Harrelson character and relationship doesn't strike me as honest. I think that it, it, it seems a little too far-fetched 
and almost mean-spirited in a way in the way that he acts towards her. Um, I, I can't imagine that happening like in this day and age. In an, like Maybe like if this took place in like the 80s, but in this day and age with teachers and, and the way that there's a, always an eye on those things, I, I found that a little hard to believe. Um, I think Haley Steinfeld's solid in this, but here's the thing is that she is – and, and this is an argument that you and Kiko and I had when we all finally saw this movie was that she's an asshole character that ends the movie still as an asshole. And it's kind of a hard thing to reconcile. She's a 17 year old um, girl, though. That's the whole point of it is that she's like she doesn't know who she is. I mean, it's it's kind of like I think. One of the most underrated and kind of uh, overlooked movies of the past few years is uh, Young Adult. Uh, you've seen you obviously Young Adult. You've seen um, from J- I, Jason Reitman and yeah, uh, I hate that. I hate that movie. But man, yes, that, yeah, I don't agree. I, I think that's one of the uh, the character that Charlize Theron plays essentially ends the movie having changed not one single bit, and I, I think that's. Um, that's maybe what's happening in this film. Not quite as, not to quite an extreme, quite as extreme a level, but, uh, you know, I think it stays true to the characters. I think, I think the Frank sexual talk is just real. I don't think it's, it's necessarily, um, something that's not, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're just a little uh, sexist there, Cody, that thinking that, that the ladies don't talk about sex. I didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, uh, oh, damn you. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I do... said that it's not shocking. I, to me, it's not. I think that it's. I think it's supposed to in this movie be shocking, and it's not. I don't agree that it's supposed to be shocking, but but I will agree with you that the Woody Harrelson thing is a little. Um, the, the Woody Harrelson thing feels the most like it's from a movie. Um, you know, and I, I think that the, her relationship with her brother, uh, played by Blake Jenner, and then her best friend Haley Lee Richardson, who ends up dating her brother, I think that I think that's played really well. And I think that she kind of spirals into, um, you know, assholedom and, and that weird alienation that can happen when, you know, as a teenager, you feel like the, your world is ending when really you're just making an ass of yourself. Anyway, I liked the movie. You weren't as big a fan, uh, but it is coming out on DVD on Tuesday. Yeah, check it out. Um, see what side you fall on. Um, I was not a huge fan of this movie whatsoever. I know that you liked it a bit so yeah we have differing opinions but that's that's the that's the beauty of of life you yeah know? all right and the last one is uh is a favorite of both yours and mine yeah uh, it's uh the beavis and butthead was this the complete mike judge collection this is the complete collection of beavis and butthead which features volumes one through three of the mike judge collection that was released um years and years ago uh the season four the 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 revival that happened probably five or six years ago on mtv and beavis and butthead do america all in one convenient package let's play a little clip please they brought smiles to millions they brought joy through their laughter <laughs> now, Beavis and Butthead are back. For the first time, Beavis and Butthead, the Mike Judge Collection. Relive heartwarming moments like... <laughs> Shut up, dill hole. Let's burn something. Ow, ow, I am portfolio. This three-disc set of 40 episodes features over 10 never-before-released episodes on DVD, including Baby Scare. 
Madame Blavatsky, Patience, Patience, Shut up, asswipe. and more. This box set comes loaded with special features, music videos. This guy's dad must have kicked his ass when he was a kid. Damn it, Pandora, this beer is warm. Give me another one. Special appearances and an exclusive look at the history of Beavis and Butthead, featuring interviews with creator Mike Judge. <laughs> And much, much more. We are there. This fall, grab history by the Nags. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead, the Mike Judge Collection, coming soon to DVD. Okay, that was actually a clip for the uh, the first uh, release of the Mike Judge Collection, which was in 2006. Son of a bitch. DVDs are... Even DVDs make me feel old now. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, so... This is, um, like you mentioned, the the complete volume one through three of the Mike Judge collection. I believe is this the first release of the the MTV revival? I believe from two thousand eleven. Uh, I think that it did have a release, but it wasn't part of any collection. I think it was an individual release. Were you? Did you watch it then? Because I I watched every episode of that and I thought it was great. I actually saw the first episode, the first two episodes at Austin Film Festival. Oh yeah. Um, that's where it premiered. Mike Judge was there, and he had the the episodes. It was probably a few months before it came out, and I remember watching it at the Paramount Theater. <laughs> um, new episodes of Beavis and Butthead for the first time in in over a decade, and and just being like, "Holy shit!" This he he nailed it. He had it exactly right. You know what pissed me off about that is that MTV cheaped out so much that they didn't. They just reused all of the couch commentary, uh, animation, animation. So. It wasn't in widescreen. It wasn't HD. Yeah. And I was, I was wondering. But the cartoons were. Uh, n- no. The it, cartoons were in HD, weren't they? Well, either way, they were in four by three. I don't know if it was HD, but it was four by three aspect ratio. I don't. Uh, that's what I remember. And maybe this this yeah. may have been before. I don't really remember how what TV I was watching it on back then. It should have been an HD TV yeah. back then. But anyway. Well, yeah, so here's the, here's the thing about this release. If you don't own the original Mike Judge collections or the movie or anything like that, it's a great collection because it's everything that's being released all in one thing. And the price is actually pretty reasonable. I think it, it it's for like $36, I think is what it is at Amazon. Um, if you have them already, there's no need to really upgrade because there's no there's really nothing new here. Um, and I think the biggest complaint about the original releases is, is that some of the music videos have cleared, but not all of them. And the videos actually aren't in the context of the episodes. They're they're listed as special features. So it's really just the cartoons with some of the videos as special features. And for anyone who's a fan of Beavis and Butthead, knows that most of the time the music video commentary was the best part and an integral part of every episode. So it feels a little disjointed when you watch it separately. Yeah, um... God, you know, this is how long ago Beavis and Butthead was on. I can remember, I must have been about 13 or 14 when it premiered. And I can remember watching it on like our our quote unquote big TV downstairs in my house. And my mom seeing me watch it and tell me telling me that she didn't want me to watch it anymore. It, it's, it really is funny to remember how dangerous that was at the time. Oh, yeah. And it's. It is it is the dumbest thing ever. But my <laughs> God, is it funny? I I still love it. I mean, when that revival happened, um, I mean, I devoured every episode. I think that must have been right as King of the Hill ended, and I think King of the Hill is mostly brilliant. 
also. This was the, the revival was probably in about 2009 if I had to guess. God, I I thought it was it was not that old. It was 2009 or 2011, one of those two. Maybe I maybe 2011. Cuz no. I yeah, I think it was 11 because I think that was the first year I went to Austin Film Fest. Yeah, let's see. Let's see what um let's see what Wikipedia has to say. Yeah, it premiered um let's see. New episodes debuted in the United States in uh, October on October 27, 2011. Yeah. So So it, it, it was um you know it's it's a great release. It's the highest quality of Beavis and Butthead you're going to get because it's it's coming straight from a DVD straight from the source. It's still great. I think it holds up tremendously tremendously well. I think the movie Beavis and Butthead Do America is, is so great. Yeah, um, we screened that last year, right? Or the yeah, as as the twentieth anniversary, I believe. God damn. Um, yeah, I love Beavis and Butthead Do America, and it's got like an enhanced version, uh, like a special edition on in this package. Um, and uh, and yeah, so it's got everything that you've had from the Mike Judge collection. It's just all in one. So, is it worth upgrading? Maybe not if you have everything single, uh, like by itself, but. Um, if you want the best version of home Beavis and Butthead that you can possibly get on the market, it's absolutely worth buying because it's got um, – I think it's got most episodes of the cartoon. There may be some that aren't in there. Um, and then it's got like maybe like 10 to 15 per season music videos, um, which again, the best part I, in my opinion of Beavis and Butthead. I wonder what is the last great series – like the most recent TV series that hasn't been put on on DVD because of the rights issues. Is there that's something is there something floating out there that that's never going to see the entire light of day? Well, I, for I, years it, for years it was the Wonder Years because they couldn't clear the music and then right. they finally got over that hump. Um, there's uh, I know a lot of episodes of Space Ghost aren't cleared. I don't. Not every episode was. I mean, they've stopped releasing DVDs of that, but not every release was. Excuse me. Not every episode was cleared for DVD. Um, that was like the late, mid to late nineties. But there's got to be some. I I'm, I feel like I'm missing something. I I know there's stuff that hasn't been released that people were really fond of, like Ed on NBC. Oh wow. Uh, and I I know that's never seen a release anywhere, as far as I know. And I think that had a lot to do with music. Let's see. Let's look that up. Let's look that up. Ed, starring uh, uh, Tom Cavanaugh. Tom Cavanaugh. God damn. Uh, let's see. Now seen on The Flash, I think. Yeah, he's uh, – yeah. And he, I remember that was when he was on Scrubs also playing uh, Zach Braff's brother because they look so similar. If you remember that. Yeah, I don't. You don't? Did you watch Scrubs? I love Scrubs. No. God, I loved Scrubs. I mean until like season seven when it started to suck, but it was, uh, yeah, that was produced by, uh, uh, Letterman's company. Ed was worldwide pants. Anyway. Um, so yeah, Beavis about it. You know, I only ever bought, uh, I only ever managed to get the, uh, volume three of the Mike judge collection. So this might be something I'm interested in picking up is the movie included. Is it on DVD or is it a Blu-ray? It's DVD. Okay. Do you think it needs a Blu-ray? Nah, probably not. You know, I, I've I've often uh, wondered that about uh, that traditional cell animation. I don't really know what it, what DVD what Blu-ray adds to that. Probably not a lot. I wouldn't think maybe just a little bit of clarity. But it, I mean, the the animation itself is always going to suffer. So yeah, you might it might look way worse in HD. 
Yeah. But yeah, that's it. I think I think we can go ahead and close out the segment. All right. So that's going to do it for this week. Next week. The Great Wall. The Great Wall. The, um, the With famous uh, Chinese actor Matt Damon. Yeah, it's not getting good reviews so far on, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. but uh, Also, uh, A Cure for Wellness, if you end up seeing that. And then Fist Fight, which I don't think we have a screening of. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it a Fist Fight. But um, I'm not going to be terribly, terribly uh, upset if I miss Fist Fight. Yeah, I agree. But uh, you go ahead and close this up. I, I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. If you want to reach us, you can uh, email us at podcast at net. You can call us at 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Did I say that right? I don't remember. 920-3456-210. That's right. No one ever, ever calls us. So if you'd like to... Someone call us for once, for God's sake. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Cinesnob. You can find us on Facebook, Cinesnob Critic. You can find me online at Jared Kingery on Twitter. Uh, Cody has something like Cinesnob Cody. He's walked away. Um, yeah, we're going to be uh, talking about the Great Wall next weekend. Next week. Uh, after that, again, is coming up uh, 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 South by Southwest. Oh, we have a screening to talk about uh, that we're hosting. Uh, let me get. Let me pull up the info on that. Uh, since Cody's walked away, Cody's the expert on these screenings. So, what up? Hey, uh, we, we've I, I'm done with the other stuff. So we're going to talk about the screening. Oh yeah, the screening we are having on Wednesday, uh, February fifteenth, at Edwards Ridge Distillery. Screening of the one I love, a really weird, crazy kind of romantic movie with Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. Um, that will be at seven thirty at Edwards Ridge Distillery. At seven thirty, we'll have a short film. It's going to be uh, a local short film from San Antonio called Axon. Followed by um, the one I love. It's going to be free, totally free, but we do encourage you to buy some delicious drinks and food. Um, and that'll be on Wednesday the fifteenth, part of our regular Cinema on the Rocks series. If you want to know what we thought of the one I love, you can go back and listen to episode sixteen of the Cinesnob podcast. Ooh, an early, a sweet sixteen from September fourteenth, twenty fourteen, almost goddamn two and a half years ago now. Wow. So. Uh, I remember when when you uh, were lining this up, you asked me what I thought of the movie, and I was like, "We talked about it, didn't we?" Yeah, and we're like, "I think so." So I had to Google Cinesnob podcast, the one I love. I'm like, "Oh yeah, there it is." Can you believe we've been doing this so long? We forgot about shit we talked about. Yes, I can totally believe it. You know, uh, the weirdest thing here's the weirdest thing about like creating stuff, and I don't want to get on some like high horse here, like we're creating fucking art or anything, but. uh uh, there's a, a web series that uh, some friends and I created a few years ago called Perspectives that uh, features puppets, and it's about the news. Um, and I'll have people, like, quote back jokes to me in that that I fucking wrote. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then, like, from Perspectives, like, oh, yeah, I forgot I wrote that thing. Does that happen on a weekly basis for you? No. Now you sound like you're on a, a speakerphone. I don't know what you did to your mic, but... You fucked it up somehow, dipshit. When you went to get another uh, Zevia soda, whatever you're drinking there. Yes, the Zevia. Yeah. Well, since you sound like crap, we're going to go and wrap this up. Uh, It doesn't happen on a weekly basis, but it happens uh, more often than I like to admit that I forget about shit that I wrote. Uh, So that's going to do it for this week. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery. And I'm Cody Viafania.
Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.